This podcast is supported by an educational grant by Bosch Health, made available through the CDA Corporate Supporter Program. For certain diseases, the use of ultrasound can be quite useful. In the area of hydronized suppurativa, for sure. Also in the area of connective tissue diseases, such as morphia, because it does help you in terms of distinguishing between active and burnt-out lesions. And finally, in malignancy, cancer screening, and surgical excisions. That is Dr. Raed Al-Husayan. He's an assistant professor at the University of Toronto, an associate scientist at Sunnybrook, and the past president of the Canadian HS Foundation. He's our guest today on this episode of JCMS Author Interviews. I'm your host, Kirk Barber. I'm the editor-in-chief of the journal Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery, and I'm a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Calgary. Today, we're very happy to have Dr. Al-Husayan on the podcast to discuss the article he co-authored, which appeared in our September-October 2021 issue of the journal Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery. It's titled, An Overview of Ultrasound Imaging Applications in Dermatology. And before we get started, just a quick reminder that you can access this article free on the JCMS website, which is outside the paywall, and it'll be open to you for approximately three weeks. And for this particular article, it would be really important to get there because the supplemental material is all the images, and it, they are spectacular. Raed, uh, welcome to JCMS Author Interviews. Thanks, Kerr. Well, uh, Raed... Tell me, am I going out to buy my ultrasound equipment this afternoon? Well, it depends. Uh, it depends on what you do and uh, the uses that you might envision uh, being useful for you. Certainly in certain situations, especially for people in academic settings, dealing with certain diseases, let's say uh, something like hydronized suppurativa, or people who are really doing a lot of cosmetic stuff and they want to take it to uh, the next level. Those are two applications in which probably ultrasounds will be probably standard of care, I envision, in the coming few years. Do you think it'll be the aesthetic folks that will carry this forward? I mean, I, I uh, was at the CDA conference and there was some discussion about it. One of the speakers and one of my colleagues here in town is is uh, looking at it for complications and uh, you know, shows me his uh, ultrasound machine. Are they going to lead the rest of us in their effort to try and avoid complications? Yeah, certainly. So in that area, it's an area where the advantage of using ultrasound is very clear. It is easy to incorporate it into practice because mostly when it comes to fillers, the two things you want to ensure is that you're not injecting intravascular. Uh, and number two is the level of placement for your filler. And uh, ultrasound is a very helpful tool in both of those situations. The other thing about it in a cosmetic practice, you really, because one part about the ultrasound, it does take more time. When we're doing our medical patient encounters, we tend to be quick. And if you're going to incorporate ultrasound, that might take more time. Uh, while in a cosmetic setting, we tend to have more time with the patients. And certainly you can see the advantage of including something like an ultrasound in doing those procedures. So just so I could get my head around the practicality of this, you have a machine and you have a, let's talk to the aesthetic group, and you have a machine and then you have a, a handheld something or other, I assume, that's held by an assistant while you inject or uh, how do people manage to use ultrasound at the time of injection or do they inject and then look? No, so what, what you do is you actually hold the transducer with one hand and use your needle with the other hand. And you see as the needle goes into the skin and which level the skin the needle is going. 
at the same time with the ultrasound, you're visualizing the blood vessels. So if there is a, a blood vessel in the area, you're ensuring that you're not injecting into that blood vessel. Depending on the type of machine you have, we, we have machines that are the size of a laptop where you can look at the screen and it's, and the transducer is connected to that laptop. And we have the newer machines, which are handheld. You can put, put in your pocket. It is connected to an iPad or even to your uh, phone through a Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. So depending on your office setting, you might decide to go with one or the other. So this is really evolving very quickly and, and making it much easier in terms of incorporating this into practice. So is this a one-year, five-year, 10-year evolution? I mean, uh, these machines, tens of thousands of dollars. So what's the cost of buying into this technology? Yeah, so the prices range. Uh, now we have those handheld transducers. Uh, many of them are actually below 10000 while the laptop ones, you are in the range of, they start around 22000 and and above. In the cosmetic realm, I wouldn't be surprised if some fo- folks are already using them. So I wouldn't, I would say within the coming two or three years, probably we'll be seeing more and more where attending those conferences and more people are doing presentations about how they do their injections using the ultrasound and how they can avoid complications uh, doing that. Do you ever see a time where this will be like dermoscopy, where most everyone will have some form of this? It's a very nice analogy. Given the current cost of the machine, and there's a learning curve also when you start using it, for now, there's really no form of compensation when it comes to the use of the ultrasound in the office. I see that probably uh, being mostly in academic settings. So certain diseases, the use of ultrasound can be quite useful. And I can think of three medical slash surgical indications for this. Uh, In the area of hydronized suppurativa, for sure, because many of those lesions are much deeper. And we have very uh, uh, thorough studies now uh, showing the advantage of using the ultrasound, both, both in terms of staging the disease, assisting disease activity, and even in treatment. So when we're doing our interlesion analog injections, for example. Also in the area of connective tissue diseases, such as morphia, because it does help you in terms of distinguishing between active and burnt out lesions. And finally, in malignancy, cancer screening, and surgical excisions. In the area of basal cell carcinomas, it can help in determining high-risk lesions. In the area of melanoma, although it's not standard of care and it cannot distinguish between benign and malignant lesions, there's a very good correlation between determining the thickness based on ultrasound and the final breast low thickness uh, after excision. Some studies have shown that it, you can actually plan a one-step excision instead of the standard two-step excision for melanomas. You clearly went through that in the article, but I'll tell you what, this is the time when I want to encourage our listeners to look at the supplemental files that you kindly um, submitted for us, because those are very striking. And I can understand we're on with a good screen and, you know, our few hours, I mean, I'm sure it's more than one or two hours of training, one could get the rudimentary bits of it down pretty easily because um, it's a you know, we're such visual learners as dermatologists, and most of us grabbed onto dermoscopy without too much trouble. Um, and once you learn the kind of language and see the and, and, and see the technology in front of you, the screen in front of you, you probably do a pretty decent job of sorting out some of the simple stuff anyways. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, there's certainly that learning cur- curve when you start. Um, the good thing about ultrasounds is 
It is non-invasive. It is painless. You could start actually on yourself, looking at all you need is a gel, and you just basically put the transducer, and you look at the screen and try to identify the structure that you're seeing, and then you take it from there. And you want to start with larger lesions that would allow you to be able to identify quickly, and then you move on into the more complex and complicated lesions. So one of the easier lesions probably to start with would be uh, epidermal cysts. Uh, because it is easy to identify. And once you see it on the screen, there's nothing else that can look like that. Uh, it's it's one of the most fascinating things to look at. Uh, you have this hypoechoic or anechoic uh, circle structure, and then you, you have this posterior hyperechoic uh, shadow uh, that is just fascinating. Once you see it, you have no doubts about the diagnosis and, and you feel that you achieved something. So you don't need to send the patient to the ultrasound department to have an ultrasound to confirm what it is. You don't need to biopsy it. And then after that, depending on your type of practice, you could move on into uh, other applications. The more complicated uses are the ones the therapeutic applications. So whether you're using intralesional catalog injections, I also, when it comes to cosmetic procedures, because you need to coordinate both of your hands at the same time. You're focusing on the needle and then the transducer slips to one side or the other. And you don't know where it is and the patient can be in pain when you do that. So that would be more of an advanced stage of using uh, this technology. I was really impressed with the morphia because that that to me is, uh, and I see lots of kids with uh, morphia and we're trying to figure out what to do and whether to stop their methotrexate. And that struck me that the, the statistics are overwhelming. I mean, you, I mean we're, you're upwards of 90, 95, 98% accuracy with disease activity. That's really impressive. Yeah, and keep in mind, we're talking about the pediatric population. This is one population where you want to avoid skin biopsies as much as possible. This is quite traumatic procedure. And if we have an alternative that we can use to, number one, make a diagnosis in some of those cases, remember the other application of this in pediatrics would be hemangiomas and vascular malformations, and also in situations like morphia. So is this active or is it burnt out? And deciding to do what to do with your treatment based on that. So if I was to take one disease, to take morphia, for example, could I learn what I need to learn in a couple of hours? Probably you will, if you have two very good cases, so the one uh, full-blown inflammation and the next case is someone with a burnt-out lesion, uh, probably that's going to be very helpful. Uh, it would be also very helpful to have uh, more of a one-on-one session do- doing that because part of this is you put it on and I'm not sure where's the epidermis and where's the dermis and where's the subcutis and is this a blood vessel or this is a different structure. So getting uh, some of that one-on-one initially would be very helpful uh, in terms of the orientation of the structures you're looking at. Certainly it can be helpful in in morphia. Uh, As I pointed out, things like cysts and in my case with hydronized suprativa, uh, it's much easier to identify those structures. So those sinus tracts under the skin are very easy to identify. At the same time, in a situation like hydronized suprativa, you could also switch the Doppler setting to see the blood flow, which correlates very well with the degree of inflammation in the lesions. And because hydronized suprativa is treated with severe inflammation, those findings can be quite striking. While in morphia, you're going to see some degree of inflammation, but the, the difference might not be that significant or that clear. Okay, so let's spend a bit of time with HS and ultrasound. 
in your article, you mentioned the transition of somebody that was under you know, a medical therapy and transition to surgical therapy because of findings on ultrasound. And so it helps not just in the staging, I guess, um, but defines the disease a little bit better for you, does it? Uh, it does. So, of course, HS is one of the areas where ultrasound has been studied thoroughly uh, and affects all the aspects of the disease. So let's start with disease staging. Or before that, we could even start with diagnosis. Remember, we talked about, okay, so a cyst is very easy to identify. If we're seeing someone with very limited disease, am I looking at an inflamed cyst or am I looking at an HS lesion? Ultrasound would be very helpful in that. Also, there are now criteria for the diagnosis of HS using ultrasound. So the dilatation of the blood vessels, seeing the tunnels underneath it, the type of scarring that you're seeing. And when it comes to staging the disease, uh, this is one of the most challenging things to do clinically. Um, we try to count those lesions, the nodules and the abscesses and the sinus tracts. And the inter-rater reliability of this is very low, uh, even among HS experts. So one of the studies has shown that in more than 40% of patients with, who were diagnosed with Hurley stage 1 clinically, they were, the staging was changed to Hurley stage 2 or 3 with the use of ultrasound. Imagine the impact of that on the management. So instead of using topical therapies or uh, uh, more of a conservative approach, seeing the degree of inflammation under the skin, you will, will need to optimize your treatment accordingly. Uh, the other use of the ultrasound in HS is from uh, a prognosis perspective. So depending on the type of tunneling and the features that you see on ultrasound, it predicts the response to medical versus surgical treatment. So those tunnels that tend to be primarily superficial, so in the dermis or dermoepidermal junction, compared to those uh, complex and those that are extending into uh, the subcutis, those that extend to the subcutis, the response rate to medical therapy is very, very low. And those are the ones where you want to optimize them medically just to help the surgical procedure while those with the more superficial tunnels tend to respond very well to uh, medical treatment. Do you have that in your clinic? Do, do you, in your follow-up of patients, is it, is it a bit like um, height, weight, and blood pressure um, when patients come in to see you? Yeah, so because I'm, I'm lucky enough to be in an academic setting, I do have access to some of those machines. And I've used both the handheld ones and I've used the ones, the laptop ones, which are uh, larger but more accurate when you're using them. I use them in two situations, mostly at the initial assessment of the patients because I want to determine their disease stage and the degree of inflammation. And I use them quite a lot when I'm doing the interleisure and cannulog injections for two reasons. One is I want to detect the area with the most inflammation, so I want to target that area. And then I want to make sure that the placement of my needle is into the area that I'm, I'm trying to target. In the article in the supplements, we do have a, uh, a video showing how we, the needle goes into the skin. So I can imagine that uh, you can be, well, you, you must be incredibly accurate, but you, you, you must be able to get quite deep into and attack these inflammatory loci, if you will, deep into the skin. So your use of interdigital steroids must be much more efficient. I'd like to think that, and some of the studies looking at the use of intraligion analog NHS, typically in inflammatory lesions, we are using lower concentrations of 10 milligrams or, or lower. Some of the studies in NHS use higher concentrations, 40 milligrams per ml. And I would be a bit 
concerned about doing that blindly with the risk of inducing skin atrophy. Being able to do that uh, guided with the, by the ultrasound uh, makes me more confident in, in performing those procedures. Are there any clues you've gotten where you, where you walk in and you say, okay, I know what the ultrasound findings are going to be here. And are there any clues that that those of us without ultrasound can can glean from your experience where we would look walk in and say, oh yeah, this person has this and boy, most of the time the ultrasound findings are this and this is how I should change my treatment. Um, sometimes when it comes to clinically seeing two or three nodules adjacent to each other or forming a line, I can predict that with the ultrasound, I'm going to find a tunnel that connect those uh, nodules. Um, so that is one of the examples in which with examining uh, many of those lesions. Uh, and that's one of the things where we talked about in 40% actually upstaging those patients mm -hmm. uh, because we thought we were dealing with two nodules and then there's a, a large sinus tract or network underneath those lesions. Any others? that So So it would seem to me that, that when I look at HS, uh, as a, and it's not my specialty by any stretch of the imagination, but when I look at it, um, I, I, I really think of it as bi almost binary. I don't do the full stage. Either it's, you know, I'm really going to have trouble here or this is going to be pretty mild disease. And, and so I'm a big upstager. Like I, I, I always think it's more aggressive than it is because most of the disease is beyond my eyes. Have you ever downstaged anybody? I'll give an example here where I've seen patients who come into the clinic and they complain of a very severe pain. And clinically, they have very small lesion, uh, one or two. And on the other hand, patients who have those large sinus tracts and they're not in pain at all or very minimal pain. And I can predict that but when I use the ultrasound using the Doppler setting, and we've shown that actually in some of the uh, 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 presentations, is that tiny lesion is quite inflamed and you see all those that blood flow through the lesion while those large tunnels, they're basically inactive. Uh, there's no blood flow coming going through it. It's just the scar tissue. And this is a, a patient who is under very good control. They just need surgical uh, management at this point. They've been optimized medically for, uh, for surgery. On the other hand, the patient with this small uh, active lesion, you could... You, you might even think that the patient is uh, exaggerating, but once you see that visual confirmation of the degree of inflammation uh, in that lesion, um, that helps you in terms of understanding where the patient's coming from, and it helps in terms of okay, now I need to be aggressive, and this is where this is where the inflammation is happening, and I need to target it. And um, it could be by surgical deroofing, it could be by surgical excision of that area, or it could be even with the interlesion catalog. So pain, multiple lesions, and linearity would be the things that I would look at as a non-ultrasound person that says, okay, I better think about the upper end of the staging scale than the lower end. Are there any other tips from your ultrasound expertise? Uh, the other potential use of it is in patients with HS, uh, one of the common associations is pyelonidal sinus. Um, and it can be challenging because both the patient does not distinguish between the two. The uh, family physicians and some cases even the surgeons involved might not distinguish, especially those who, are, who don't have expertise in HS. And um, 
being able to examine this and showing that's not connected with the other HS lesions, uh, provide that confirmation uh, to the patient and then in reporting back to the other healthcare providers involved in the care that this is a completely different disease. The patient HS is under good control, but for the pineal sinus, there is no role for medical therapy. We will need your surgical expertise in, in dealing with this. Uh, because some of the surgeons, especially those who do not deal with the chest, are uh, careful and try to avoid. They don't. They're concerned about complications operating on HS lesions. So when you provide them with that reassurance that this is not part of HS, it's just a, like the classic pineal sinus, uh, and they're quite comfortable managing those. Uh, that would help in terms of uh, patient management. Let's switch to tumors for a second, and it's specifically basal cells. The use of ultrasound. Is it going to be um, like a poor man's uh, Mohs uh, therapy? If you do an ultrasound, you get extent of the tumor. Is it that sophisticated? So remember, with the ultrasounds, we have the standard ultrasound machines, um, and those are in the range of five to uh, nine uh, megahertz. Those are not appropriate for skin examination. The recommendations for skin examination would be a minimum of 15 megahertz. And that's what we call a high-frequency ultrasound. And then we have a completely different ball game. Uh, those in the range of 50 to 70 megahertz, and those are the ultra-high-frequency ultrasounds. Uh, those ones are, are really to look at the much smaller structures. We're talking about the hair follicles. Um, so when it comes to tumors, probably we'll need to be using the, the, the higher end uh, of uh, the spectrum here. And I anticipate there's going to be a delay in uh, uptake in the use of ultrasound in the case of tumors because of, um, again, there's that concern about patient safety and, and the impact that might have. Uh, that being said, the studies are very encouraging in the sense that determining the thickness of the lesion, uh, also in the case of the basal cell carcinomas, it's actually helpful in terms of making the diagnosis. So it, there are certain features that you can see on ultrasound that help you make the diagnosis and determining which, are, which ones are the high-risk uh, basal cell carcinomas. And that is also helpful in terms of deciding whether you're going to take a slightly larger margin when you examine those lesions, uh, when you excise those lesions, and uh, in terms of following up those patients to ensure there is no recurrence. So uh, we've taken ultrasound cystic things to learn, inflammatory things, tumors. Is there any any sort of uh, lasting message you want to leave us with that will, I guess, encourage me to read more about it? Because if I don't have an ultrasound machine, you know, this is interesting. I'm not sure I'm going to spend much more time under, trying to understand it. But I wonder at what time, at what point in time, I guess, and I'll go back to asking you the future, um, the rheumatologists now, um, they're using it at point of care. So they're using it to aid their joint injections, right? And looking for inflammation, specifically emphysitis dactylitis. Um, so it must be in the range of affordability for many of them to have, have that tool. You know, when you think of a phototherapy machine, for example, it you know, thirty to fifty thousand um, dollars. I would think about buying an ultrasound machine if it was in a reasonable price range, because it sounds like it might be very useful. Well, you bring up a very good point. So, uh, 
Actually, if you have a friend who's a rheumatologist, you could start playing by the machine by borrowing their machine, which, especially if you're in a hospital, they tend to be close to, like, dermatology and rheumatology need to seem to be close by. And yes, rheumatologists been doing that for a long time, and it's in many cases, it's now, one would argue, standard of care. The other applications in dermatology that we did not touch on today would be assessment of the nail. So again, we really avoid, try to avoid doing procedures on the nails. So examining the nail for, let's say, potential glomus tumor, or if there is a bony abnormality underneath it, that can be done with the use of ultrasound. And you don't need to wait for an MRI that will take several months to be done. And you don't need to worry about doing a nail biopsy. The other thing is foreign bodies. So if you suspect a foreign body, it's easy to detect that on an ultrasound machine. Again, because that's going to be a very, uh, most of them will be hyperechoic and you see hypoechoic inflammation around it. So that can be uh, quite useful as well. So when it comes to the dermatologist using it and trying to encourage people to use it or at least to try it, you might not need to go ahead and buy it. You could initially, so with rheumatologists and other specialists who might be using it, you could borrow it for, for a week or two or the days that they're not in clinic. Remember, what we're talking about today, this is about point-of-care ultrasound. We're not talking about referring our patients to get ultrasound done. This is, you have it in your pocket or you have this laptop uh, uh, machine that you bring it to the room or you have it on the side of the room and and you need the gel, which we also use with for those who are doing cosmetic procedures. So with IPL, uh, it's the same gel, basically, that, that you can use. And you can play with it. You could get it for a day or two. Get your rheumatologist colleague to show you a few tricks about what are the structures they're looking at. Because when they look at the joints, they need to look at the skin uh, above it. And then you can take it from there. All right. Sounds easy. Next year, I'll be back to you uh, with my newfound ultrasound skills. I think it might be fun. Looking forward to it. It might be fun. Well, thank you for spending the time with us. That was that was really delightful. And as I said, the supplement's really the, the best place to go look at these images. And it really brings this article alive. And uh, your conversation was really helpful in putting this into clinical perspective for us. So great. Thanks, Kerr. Thanks very much. I enjoyed the conversation as well. That's it for this episode of the JCMS Author Interviews Podcast. I hope you enjoyed your time with us and you're out buying an ultrasound machine in the near future. If you did enjoy it and you want to help us reach as wide an audience as possible, please give us a five-star rating. Also, uh, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss uh, future episodes. I'm Kirk Barber, and thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be good to each other. Be good to each other.